One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, the second of two shows on generational conflict at work. It's been a really uncomfortable decade for me and my friends, I think, but it has cultivated a certain amount of unwillingness to be the good girl. She thinks the older women in her industry are underappreciated in spite of everything they do. And we hear from a 40-something on what influenced her career choices. You know, my parents were divorced, and I remember looking at the, the mothers and the, the women around me and thinking they are beholden to somebody else for their safety and lifestyle. Coming up. So I know I said we'd be concentrating more on Gen X women in this show, and we will get to them. But I want to start off with Nora Matthews. She's the 30-year-old from the last show. She knows her generation has this reputation of being over-entitled special snowflakes. She works in media and publishing in New York, and she graduated into a recession. She didn't get right on her chosen career path after college. It took some years of doing jobs she was overqualified for. She hasn't had the experience in her chosen field she thought she'd have by this age. The older women she works with have had a more straightforward path. They're excelling. But that said... Do you ever feel envious of the women in the generation above you? No. I actually feel like, especially Gen X women, are in a kind of tight spot um, between boomers and millennials and that they, if anything, have a lot of pressure on them to perform. And she says at her office they do, brilliantly, but she's not sure they get the recognition they deserve. I think there is, while there are definite benefits to having started up the career ladder in time to be doing financially better than me and my friends are, I still see a certain amount of pressure and almost that good girl expectation that can be really crushing where my direct boss, for example, is killing it. She's incredible. She's single-handedly doubled, tripled our revenue over the past, you know, seven, eight years that she's been there. And I do think she is somewhat overlooked because she's a traditionally good, you know, type A striving, achieving woman who isn't necessarily going to push forward and demand what she wants from her job. If anything, it's the opposite of the special snowflake thing. It's that I see a lot of women of that generation performing at a very high level and having it just be what's expected of them. And as we know, that doesn't always work out so well. Exactly. And my friends and I, in some ways, are forced to opt out a little bit because we all have to have our side hustle just to pay our rent here in New York. We all have at least two or three jobs, and we can't survive and be quite as polite or quite as good because 
you know, wages have stagnated and we have to negotiate for that raise or we can't pay our rent. So it's uncomfortable and it's been a really uncomfortable decade for me and my friends, I think, but it has cultivated a certain amount of unwillingness to be the good girl that I see a lot of the older women that I really respect still struggling with. That's really interesting. So tell us about your side hustle or hustles. I have four jobs right now. I have my corporate nine to five. I have worked with uh, an educational nonprofit for several years teaching after school programs. And I also teach with their corporate programs. On top of that, she's a qualified massage therapist. She still does that for friends and family on the weekends. And then she does consulting. For a female-owned, female-operated startup that helps independently published and traditionally published mid-list authors develop marketing strategies and provides virtual assistant services for them. It's a lot. Now, this is something I really admire about younger women or younger people in general. I launched the broad experience while I was studying on an entrepreneurial journalism program at CUNY in New York. And nearly everyone else on that program was in their mid to late 20s. It was pretty intimidating. But what really struck me was how much these people did, how many different types of work they had going on at the same time on top of school, and how they seemed perfectly able to cope with that. The whole growth of the multi-job economy is happening. And so, quite frankly, for for both boomers and Gen Xers, like, we don't really know that world. So how how can we advise on it? Because we didn't grow up in a world where you had like 12 different things going on at once. And how do you balance all of that? Joanna Bloor is another Gen Xer. She lives in San Francisco. She has a background in media and tech, and she's CEO of the Amplify Lab. It helps senior women build a strategy around what they want to be known for. Joanna used to work for Pandora, the music streaming company, and things were exploding while she was there. She had lots of 20-somethings working for her. She says they were keen and talented and ambitious. So here I am, you know, with an amazing team of people, but leading this organization and having to scale an organization that was doubling, tripling its revenue, like the speed everything was happening was crazy. And I just kept on going, please just come to me with ideas and solutions all day, every day. And was immensely frustrated because these people would look at me and go, well, what is it you want me to do? And I'd be like, well, uh, just go figure it out, like come up with solutions. So she started to think a lot about why the 20-somethings seemed different from her and her peers. Here's where we go broad for a minute. And yes, there will be some generalizations. But here goes. Joanna says this is how she and her friends grew up. They saw their mothers go back to work in the 80s after years of not working, and a lot of them became latchkey kids, back at home after school and left completely to their own devices. There was no structure, basically. As long as you were home by dinner, everything was fine. She says, contrast that with her 20-something team and how they grew up. Parents were much more involved in their activities. They had afternoons filled with after-school programs. In short, they had a lot going on. Their time was more structured and they had more guidance. They have been taught, follow the rules or here are the rules for this is what you need to get an A. So they're like, well, what are the rules? What are the guidelines? Which is what they're asking for when they're having that conversation. Whereas my generation, 
basically are happiest generally when there's a blank sheet of paper and they're like, well, just kind of give me the high level. Don't give me the, the guardrails. Let me just kind of innovate from nothing because that's the muscle that we've gotten really strong with. And you put those two together with one group of people who are like, well, tell me what it is I need to do to get an A. And then you have another group of people who go, it's not about the A that matters. And then you start having that conflict. She says you just need to be aware of where the two groups are coming from to pull a project off successfully. And she says they did that all the time. Joanna believes divorce also plays a part in her generation's perspective. Divorce shot up in the 70s and 80s when she was growing up. And back then, women often found themselves suddenly on their own with rusty professional skills. They were at a disadvantage in the job market. Many of these women took a big financial hit. Joanna says for her and all her friends whose parents split up, that era made them who they are as workers and parents. Because of my work, I work with a lot of executive women and across the board, every single one of them had this moment kind of in their early to mid teens or within their early career where they were like, wait a second, I really have to rely on myself and almost kind of almost an off the chart experience of I am responsible for putting a roof over my head. The whole Cinderella, Prince Charming fantasy just evaporated. Joanna grew up in England until she was 14. At that point, her mother remarried and they all moved to Texas. But when she thinks back to that time in England after her parents divorced... I remember looking at the the mothers and the, the women around me and thinking they are beholden to somebody else for their safety and lifestyle. And there was one woman, one, who didn't, well, I think she got married at 56. And then she also married a lord, which I thought was pretty impressive. So she had this incredibly glamorous lifestyle as a single person. I mean, not that she didn't date, but she, she didn't get married. And she had this flat in London and traveled. And I was like, hang on a second, I want to be like her. And she dramatically influenced my own story of saying, I want to be so successful that I can be financially independent. And so there's this almost fierceness, I think, I see I'm going to get backlash for this because nobody likes the bad word. Like as women, we don't like the bad words. We only like the like and kind and lovely words. But there's this fierceness around Gen X women of I have to take care of myself and my family. Not that everybody doesn't have that, but there's a lot more color there. And maybe this is true for women who were children of divorce. But I'm Gen X and my parents stayed married. My mother didn't go back to work. For years, my only ambition was to be a wife and mother. I know, right? A few things changed over the years. But Joanna says the Gen X women she knows share her mindset of, I'll get this done my way. And it's different to the way the young women she works with think. She says they have a much more collaborative attitude both at work and at home. I listened to both the women and the men who worked with me and there was equally this concept of the young woman taking care of the family as there was for young men and it's it was unheard of 
in our world to have a stay-at-home dad. And it's so much like this whole concept of co-parenting really kind of rose around it. So there's the decisions around the whole concept of having children. And I, I am fairly dramatic with this. Like this was part of why I decided to be a super auntie to my sister's kids, but not have any of my own because I wanted to have that freedom. But then I also sit here and like, I'm sitting here talking to you and I physically cringed because that whole voice of, well, isn't that selfish, you terrible, like you are now not feminine because you decided not to have children. It's absolutely speaking in my head. And, and that choice really for, I think, my generation, the Gen Xers and before wasn't there. And what I hope for this generation is that it is. And if you too have had that feeling of being less than because you're not a mother, you might want to listen to a show I did on this in 2014. It's number 48. It's called Professional Women, No Kids. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The approach to motherhood can still divide professional women. Some of you may remember Rahel Ellison. I spoke to her two years ago for a show I did called The Motherhood Factor. It focused on how women are sometimes treated differently at work once they have children. Rahel wrote a great piece for the Huffington Post recently on generational differences between women. And it reminded me of something she told me when I spoke to her for that show. She was coaching this woman who worked for a big company in New York. She was a mother in her mid-30s, and she turned to an older female colleague for advice, a senior vice president of the company. She knew she wanted to have three kids, and she saw that this woman had had three kids. So she said, you know, how do you do it? How, you know, that question, that dreaded question, how did you do it? And she said, it's really easy. You just get a daytime nanny, an evening nanny, a cook, and a housekeeper. And those are the four things you need, and you'll be set. And, you know, for her, um, you know, forget the financial implications of that. That was not quite what she'd envisioned for working parenthood. That's not what she'd wanted. But Gen X around Lair, you heard her on the last show. She says that baby boomer who had all that help at home, there's a reason for that. She and the women slightly older than her entered the workforce in a different era. Now think about it from the woman's perspective, from my mother's perspective and all the women of that generation who we have to thank. They thought and they were told, you have to be like a man, right? So they dressed like a man. They had the boxy suits. They acted like a man. They were more assertive. They hadn't understood that they had their own value as women leaders. They didn't really understand how to use that yet. And so for a woman of that generation, yeah, because that's what the men did. The men made sure that everything was taken care of at home, and then they did whatever they had to do to be successful. So the women followed suit. Though most of them couldn't afford a staff. Rahel Allison says the problem is when you're working for a big company where none of the higher-ups talk openly about how they manage their lives, it's no wonder some women feel their only option is to imitate what's gone before. 
She was talking to a client who had a 10-month-old baby. This woman had a big job and she was going in early, leaving late. She hardly saw her kid. She was having a really hard time. And she seemed on the verge of saying, something has to change. Later on in the conversation, just a few minutes later, she had almost, like, you could see her sort of galvanized, like, strengthening herself, like, arming herself with the knowledge that she could do it, kind of giving herself an inner pep talk um, and saying, you know what I should do? I should do it the way so-and-so, my supervisor, does it. She has two kids and she's done, you know, these 10 major projects that I admire. I should show my staff that the same thing is possible, that they too can have a kid and navigate this field, which seemed just so hard for me to digest. It just seemed like she was really struggling, but because there wasn't really transparency and she felt like she needed to follow the model of the generation prior. She then found out later that female SVP, she had a stay-at-home husband. That's one big reason why she could pull off all those projects. Joanna Bloor says in her world, in Silicon Valley, young women mostly don't want to emulate their elders when it comes to the parenthood-work combination. She says they don't want to make the choices her contemporaries have made. With her friends, and largely with mine, it looks like this. There were kind of three paths. There was the step out of work and be a stay-at-home mom, which I absolutely have a lot of girlfriends who are that and the choices that they've made. And now they're all like, oh, crap, I have to do that whole, how do you get back into the workplace? Then there's the ones who, and it's a small group, but they do exist, of ones who said, I'm absolutely staying in the work, kind of have no life, which is what I think the, the Gen Y is reacting to, and or have actually found that unicorn of a partner where the dads are stay-at-home dad. I have a lot of friends who have stay-at-home dads, and I think it's fantastic that that actually started with our generation. Or they're the ones like me who said, you know what, this is my path, and I'm absolutely going to be the the substitute mom for a lot of people, but having my own children isn't, isn't part of my journey. Joanna's mentored a lot of women. She still does. And she thinks a lot about what younger women expect from older ones and what older ones can actually deliver. And this is the piece that I am still thinking about, and I haven't completely codified, but as a woman, there's this expectation constantly that you are supposed to lift up the generation behind you, the women behind you. And so... As a Gen X woman, you're, you're running around doing all of your stuff and trying to balance life and family and work and all of these sorts of things. And A, there's not enough of you to go around. And we all hear the Madeleine Albright statement of there's a special place in hell for women who don't help women. But there's a supply and demand issue in play. There's only so much helping we can do. Plus, we are all human beings and every so often we have a bad day. So we might be kind of a jerk. And this is the, the thing I am still curious about is from woman to woman, do you measure when a woman is not nice to you more harshly than you measure a man not being nice to you? And do you does that color it? And I I believe that it does. Like I think about... When I've gotten bad feedback, when a guy says, 
oh, you really screwed up on a project or did something bad. I go, or he's just a jerk. I go, well, he's just being a jerk. But when a woman does it to you, you go, well, she's not nice. And that whole color of we are supposed to be the nurture mother thing, as well as these power professional business things is like, you almost have to be schizophrenic to kind of deal with the whole thing. Yep. You heard Barnard President Deborah Spa talk about this on a past show, the idea that we expect women to be nurturing, so we're more disappointed when they don't conform to type. I do hear from the young women I work with this whole, well, women don't help me move up. And I'm like, guys, 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 there's a supply and demand issue. We don't actually have enough hours in the day to help you all. Trust me. Joanna says all the Gen X women she knows are trying to help the next generation. That's The Broad Experience for this time. As usual, you can comment on this episode at thebroadexperience.com or on the show's Facebook page, or you can email me via the contact tab on the website. I'd love to hear whether any of this resonates with your experiences. Thanks to all those of you who've taken a few minutes to review the show on iTunes and to everyone who supported the show with a donation. I really appreciate it. I'm Ashley Miltite. See you next time. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.